0: But right now, I want to move into a time of uh, teaching. It was sort of a, a heavy set. That was really great. I really appreciate the music uh, team, and Randy's gone, and so uh, um, for him and, and Carol and, and Matt Boz and all kinds of folks that, that, um, that participate in that, I thank you for it. Uh, but this is actually kind of a heavy sermon. Whoa, somebody already put it up there. I guess you need to have a blank slide for it. But this is kind of a heavy sermon, but I wanted to start off light. Does anybody remember these? How many remember those? What does WWJD stand for? Oh, the ghetto of the 90s, guys. The ghetto of the 90s. 1989, a woman from Holland, Michigan, invented these right here, and she didn't make a million dollars. Isn't that sad? Man, man, this is cheesy, isn't it? Like, this is just, can we recognize as Christians... This is one of the things I learned growing up in the church. Some of you didn't grow up in the church, and that's cool. I did grow up in the church, and there's one thing that I learned. I learned that Christians love cheesy junk. Love it. <laughs> if you can make it a porcelain, if you can make Jesus look like he's got, you know, use Pantene Pro-V, like if you, what, if you can get, put it on a bracelet or a necklace or a bookmark or a pen or a, a rug or anything else. Like, we love that stuff. And, and what I liked about this, was that even though as cheesy as it is, it does kind of do some work for us, doesn't it? Like I said, what does WWJD mean? And you all knew. And, and, and of course, we cannot forget that somebody somewhere realized that, you know, everyone had 15 of these. I don't know how many you had. That would be a fun thing. How many of you grew up in the 90s? How many of these did you have? I think I had two. Somebody, uh, I, I see Steve Kemp smiling back there. He probably had 15. But you, can't, you can see the, the boardroom where they're all sitting around. They're like, we kind of we sold out on this what would Jesus do thing. We're, we're, like, we're done. Like they're, they're not selling like they used to. So we need to come up with something, uh, something good, something that will also sell. And so they came up with this, which is just the worst, isn't it? That's just terrible. Somebody says, well, what about frog? What can we do with that? fully rely on God. Which is great, is it? Like fully, if you're walking around and you look at that bracelet and you say, oh man, I need to rely on God today. I mean, that's good work. That's good. That's wonderful. But let's be honest too, that's cheesy and terrible. So, so I, with that in mind, um, this month is going to be a month of, of cheese from us to you with the intentional hope That as cheesy, as kitschy, as like eye-rolly as it is, uh, it will stick in your brains. And we'll think about this during the month. And so this is our new series, Evidence of Repentance, Eeyore. (laughs) So if I ask you, what's your Eeyore? I I am fine if you roll your eyes and you say, Jordan, gee, goodness sakes, man. Uh, But I still expect you to have some (laughs) evidence of repentance. And this is taken from John the Baptist. Some of you guys might know who John the Baptist is. Some of you might not. That's okay. John the Baptist was born about the same time Jesus was. Shortly before another miraculous birth, another birth attached to ancient prophecy in, in Scripture. And John shows up on the scene, and he says, "Listen, you can't just say I went to church a long time, or my daddy planted a church, or you can't just say I, I've I've been good in the past. You can't you can't use any other um, verbal means to try to get your hands on God. You have to have fruit." You have to bear fruit and keep, if you say that you've turned toward God and you're following him now, you're seeking him, you have to be able to point to something in your life that bears that evidence out. Does that make sense? Like some of that's just logic to us. And this, this isn't a complicated sermon, this is really clean, really simple, really clear. And that's what we want to do. Over the next, we're we are nearly 40 days away from the resurrection of the Son of God. Who died on behalf of you and was raised for your justification. Who ascended to the right hand of the Father and there awaits his coming when he will come to judge the quick and the dead of the sons of men. And until then he has given you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Church and he has wrapped you in his word that you might follow him. That is amazing, tremendous, excellent good news. And over the next 40 days, we want to invest some time in thinking about, okay, if that's all that God has done, and if God has called us to turn our lives toward that, and to to use the Bible word repent, and to turn ourselves toward God, what does it look like to turn ourselves toward God well? What does it look like to repent well? What is our evidence of, of repentance? So if you grab your Bibles, we'll look at the story of John the Baptist if you, didn't grab a, if you didn't bring a Bible or, or you don't have a phone, well, if you don't have a phone, that's a different issue. But uh, if you don't have something downloaded, you can grab a pew Bible. You can follow along just like I'm doing. Uh, it's on page 835, that second column there. Uh, you can grab that. And, and we're going to begin actually here with verse 4. And so your, your Bibles, if you're using this one, kind of sets it apart because this is actually a quote from Isaiah chapter 40. And so, oh, I'm sorry. That would, that would be helpful knowledge, wouldn't it? <laughs> Page 858, Luke chapter 3. All right. Gwen brought her Bible to church today. Extra Jesus points for you. Good job. All right. Yes. Uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 4. I'll begin to read as you're, as you're finding it. As it was written in the, pro- of the, of the words of Isaiah the prophet, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That's a beautiful vision, isn't it? The worst thing about what I do from here is explain metaphors because it just ruins them. Um, but there's a lot of beauty in this, and I think I have to ruin it. <laughs> <clears throat> imagine, imagine if there was a 50-50% chance that Jesus came back tomorrow. 50 chance, 50-50. Maybe, maybe not. But there's that chance, a strong 50-50 chance. What would our lives look like today? How would they change? How would they be shaped? How might they be different if we really believed the Lord was coming? What would we do to prepare ourselves for Jesus' return? What would we do in our lives? What would you do with this day? Because here the, the prophet suggests that when Jesus shows up, what he is looking for is for the, uh, the high, the powerful, uh, the strong, the self assured, the self confident, the wealthy, the elite, the mountains to be humbled and brought low. And for the, the weak, the meek, the downtrodden, the oppressed, the poor, the insignificant, the ugly, the left behind, the outsider, the outcast, the valley. To be lifted up. And for all of the ways in which we have chosen our own way and perverted the goodness of God's beautiful world and ignored his instructions and lived in iniquity, he says, straighten that road out. Because it makes a whole lot of sense to us, doesn't it? That some roads are easier to follow than others, right? If if I have to take this path or this path, which one's easier? Right? Michigan is easier than Tennessee. Like that's just that's how it is. And so the metaphor is being drawn on here, and it makes a lot of sense to the people who are hearing this prophecy too. They say, "Listen, if you've got if the Lord is coming, if He is traveling, and like this is very literally, like Jesus stepped on Earth, and Jesus will again step on Earth." If you think of it that way, you want Jesus to show up in your town. You want the Lord to come to your town. You want to make, you want to clear some space. Like make that path easy and level and straight and plain. Make it easy for the Lord to come. Don't make it like this. And so that's the metaphor that this prophecy is drawing on. And it introduces us to John by saying first, like this is what John is up to. And I love this because I think in so many ways I can just sit back and I could really, we could probably just shut this down and spend the next 10 minutes in silence and ask the question, does my life look like this or does my life look like this for the Lord's coming? John says in verse 7, as we've gotten this prophecy, this word that kind of introduces us to his work. In verse 7, we get an introduction to his actual sermon, what he's saying, what he's preaching, what he's doing out there. A very short summary. And he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Which I just love, right now. There's 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 a divide in this room. Fifty percent of you would just hate this guy, and fifty percent of you would love him. Like, right? He's just he comes out swinging. What a great way! And and really, honestly, like, let's put ourselves in in, in John's context. John is in the wilderness uh, near the River Jordan, and many of you don't have that geography in your mind, and that's okay. But let me just say, it's a long Uber drive from Jerusalem to Jordan. Okay, it wasn't like they just. Went a block or two. Like they really had to go out to see John. And as they put all of this time and energy, because you know there was an Uber, right? Like that was a joke. They walked. They walked a long way. And they come up. You can just imagine this crowd coming up to John the Baptist. And John is out there. He, what he's doing, he's preaching. He's saying you need to repent, you need to be baptized. And he sees people come and he says, why are you here? You're preaching. We thought that's what you wanted us to do, right? It's such a funny scene. And, and what, I think is, uh, what I think is important about this is that he recognizes in a moment, as he sees them coming to him, that they have come to see a show. They've come see, to see a, a ranter, a railer. They've come to see what everyone's talking about. They've come for a lot of reasons, but they haven't come to change. You came here for a lot of reasons this morning. Probably not for a show, but, but uh, what'd you come here for today? Did you, did you come to change? Because the, the word that he uses to describe them is a snake. We know, what a, we know what that metaphor, it's sort of traveled through time really well. There hasn't been a lot of twists, as it were, uh, on the snake idea. The snake is somebody who is duplicitous, who is false, who will let you pet their head and then they strike your heel, right? They're somebody who is definitionally a liar. And he sees them coming and he says, what have you come here for? Because I don't really think you've come for change. He says this in verse 8, bear fruit, what's your Eeyore, right? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and don't think that you can say to yourselves, well, we've got Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up from the stones, children, for Abraham. Verse 9. Every, even now, the axe is at the root of the tree, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, I know that it doesn't look that way, except for the beard, but I have chopped wood before. I have chopped down trees I've done all that And if you've done that before You know what you do What do you do when you're going to chop wood What's the first thing you do Aside from setting it up You, You line that axe up on the wood first Don't you You line it up You set it down Get the feel for where it is, like it's sitting there. And there's this moment, if I was a piece of wood, <laughs> in anticipation of which this thing is coming down to cut. And this is this image, this word that, uh, that John gives us of a, of, a, of a woodcutter, a woodsman who's out there and he's got his axe and he's set it on the tree and now all he has to do is what? Pull it back and take that first swing. He says, the axe of God is at the tree. It's already set it up against there. And every tree that is not bearing good fruit is useless. And so God will chop it down and cast it into the fire. That's a heavy word, isn't it? It's a lot to take in. And I think that's why this matters so much to me. It matters so much to me because I know that uh, I will stand in judgment and I know that I can't say, well, I was raised in church and I can't say, well, I was a preacher and I can't say, well, I stood up here and I, and I taught lessons and I can't say, I have to say, how did I actually embody fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and kindness and self-control. How did I live those things? Where is the actual evidence that Jordan was a Christian? Not words. Deeds. Heart. When did you see me or someone else, or when would God see see me forgive or set aside or act kindly when I was treated poorly? Or When do we actually see a people who are wanting and actively trying to bring down the mountains and raise up the valleys? That's that vision. That's the vision that Isaiah gives us. This is what the Lord is coming to do, and if we are smart, we will do it already in our own lives, our own churches, our own families, our own communities. The Lord is is coming. The Lord is coming. And so the crowds respond with this, right? The crowds respond in verse 10. What do we do? Like if this is the fact, if it is a fact that Jesus is coming soon, what do we do because of that? And, and here, Luke is the only one who records this for us, it's, it, and it's important. And I'm only really going to break down the first one, but, but he gives us several examples. It says this. He answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized, and he said, they said, teacher, what should we do? And he said, collect no more than you were authorized to do. Soldiers, Roman soldiers, asked him, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not exhort money to anyone or from anyone by threats or false accusations and be content with what you have. John faces then in this text, we see localized examples. He's proclaiming this message of repentance. He says, listen, you need to have uh, your, your Eeyore. And they say, well, what does that look like? The crowd asks generically, and he gives a generic answer. If you have to, share that extra. Then he has specific examples that we saw there. If you're a mountain, share with a valley. If you have a job, never use that to build yourself up, but rather use it to lift others up. If you serve in some kind of secular, outside there, outside you know, in the world capacity, as many, if not most of you, already do, Be content with where you are and what you have. And never use your position, whatever it is, as an opportunity to lift yourself up. But rather, remember this. The mountains are coming down, folks. And the valleys are being lifted up. And if you are a valley, that's really great news. And if you're a mountain, that stinks. (laughs) But the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. And because the Lord is coming... He will make sure it happens regardless. So, if you are wise, and here's a great parental thing, right? Like when mom and dad show up at home and we tell Emery, hey, time to clean your room, it gets harsh. But if she's already done some of that work, it's a whole lot easier, isn't it? Easier for everyone. And that's kind of the image that I see here. I see the Bible opening up into us, unveiling what does it look like when the Lord comes? What does it look like when he sets his rule and reign? What does it look like when the good news actually takes hold and things begin to change because God has come? What does it look like? It looks like this, valleys and mountains flattening out. And so we have some instruction early on. Bear that out in your lives. Do that work Now. And it almost seems innocuous, almost like silly, simple, almost like uh, what's that? They had that book. Uh, this is many years ago, but like everything I knew, I learned in kindergarten or something like that. Is it right? Everything I needed to know. Who who said that? Cheryl, stand up, Cheryl. <laughs> We are told in kindergarten to share, right? I mean, that's what we're working on with Esri. Share, share, share. It's so funny to me that like the Bible, like God has to write it down in Holy Scripture because we can't learn that one simple lesson. But how different would the world be if that was a lesson that we took to heart? I just, I, I think it's so funny. And, and it is indeed uh, quite a harsh ratio if we think about uh, our world today. If you look at what he's saying, he says you have two of something, you give away that other thing, what's that percentage? 50%. Like, why is it we need two so bad? Like, one's going to break, or I'm going to lose one, or it's going to get old. or I'd be like, why do we need, why do we need so much? And John the Baptist is great because he's he's living on the edge, and he's saying, listen, guys, this is not the time to hoard up in barns. This is not the time to store up in safe houses. This is not the time to build a bigger safe in your home and to begin to hoard your wealth or your... It seems like somebody said something about that. Anybody remember who said something about that? Jesus why do you store up on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, where nothing is secure? If you've learned anything over the past 20 years of your lives with all of the economic up and downs and you know people getting into office who we didn't think you'd get in office and all just the craziness going on in the world, you'd say to yourself, wow, is anything secure? And the answer is no! No. So why are we so busy storing things up instead of Living generously with our lives, with our time, with our money, with our service, with our our space, whatever it is that you have to give, and you have something to give. Why is it that that is not what we're pouring ourselves out into? John says, listen, the Lord is coming. And and he says in verse 15, uh, there, as the people are sort of standing around, they think that he might be the one. Like, is this the Messiah? Is this the one we're expecting to come? And he says, no, verse 16, I baptize you with water, but there is one who is mightier than I that is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Let me ask you this. Is there anybody in this world that is so great that you're not worthy of untying their shoe? If if anyone walked in that door, like I don't care who they are, and said, come over here and tie my my shoe, I'd say, eat it, buddy. Like, (laughs) right? Like... John the Baptist, though, is saying, like, there is no one in this world. Like, John is the one, Jesus says, is, is above all other prophets. He is, he is the greatest prophet. And John says, I couldn't even touch his dirty sandals. That's how great he is. And what will he do? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear the threshing floor. And here is good news and bad news rolled into one. He will gather the wheat into the barn. And then he will burn up the excess, the chaff, the stuff, the, 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 the husks, the stuff that nobody can do anything with. He'll burn that up. And that is beautiful if you are wheat, right? If you have produced the fruit, if you have the eeyore, right? If you're, if you're already doing that, then it says that God is going to sweep you up into his own home, We read this in in John 13, right? I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may also be. Like God has gone to these great lengths to draw us together, to draw us into himself. And when he does that, what will it look like? It will look like this vision that Isaiah had of the mountains being brought low, the valleys being brought up, and the question is, are we producing that in our own lives today? Do we have that going on in our own lives today? Are we wheat? Are we chaff? I know that's a heavy word, a heavy thing to talk about on um, this morning when we really just need to pause and everyone needs to pat the back of the person next to them. Go ahead. Pat the, you, you made it this morning. The worst day, the worst day of the year, the worst Sunday of the year, everyone lost an hour, and here y'all are. We made it. We made it. But there's something serious to be said too. The week of the passion of the Lord is coming up upon us. Everything that God has done in his infinite mercy and grace to bring us to him. And it only really matters if we're changed in some real way. And so I... I don't have a word against you. I'm just asking you the question. I'm asking myself that question. Am I prepared? And if I'm not, I need to take stock of my life. And I need to ask the question, how is it that I can become the prepared one? How can I move into life in such a way that that these things become visible and evident? How can I become like John, who in many ways is a replica of us? Because here we are in the wilderness, folks, right? Here we are in the wilderness, and we're awaiting just as John was awaiting, the similar thing to what he was awaiting, he was awaiting the first coming of Jesus, and we're awaiting his return, and we have crowds and tax collectors and soldiers and all around us. And, and, and we have the same message that John has. In fact, you notice that this is how, he, uh, how Luke sums up everything John has been doing. He, he brings the good news, right? He brings the good news. And the question is are we good news? Are we bringing good news? Do we have this in our, in our lives and in our hearts? And as the music team comes forward, I really want to leave that question with you. I had an argument with Ellen uh, th- this week. Beth smiles because she often argues with Ellen. <laughs> I won, by the way, just saying. So you know. Uh, we had this, we are talking about songs that we sing at church, and I know that there are some songs that you sing that you like, and then there's some that you don't like. Everybody, can I get a witness? Let's just admit there are songs we don't like. That's fine. I like about two of our songs. Right? I'm, I complain all the time. You guys think you're bad. You should hear Paul just roll his eyes, just close, because shuts the door. Jordan's going to complain. No. Uh, but one of the songs that I really like that almost no one else seems to like <laughs> <laughs> is that song, Though You Slay Me. Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, still I will praise you. And I love that word. And Ellen and I argued back and forth because she said we sing it and it's not true. So look around and ask the question, like how many people are really, 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 though you slay me, yet I pray, though you ruin me? And I said to her, You're right. We're all hypocrites. But I sing that song not because I think it's true. I sing the song because I want it to be true. Because I hope it's true. We sang, I surrender all. I'm not so sure that's true. But if I sing it enough and enough and enough, maybe along this way, there'll come a moment where I look back and I say, I've surrendered a whole lot more than I thought I had. That's my prayer. And that's my prayer for you over the next 40 days as we think about this incredibly cheesy uh, <laughs> slogan. When we think about, well, the evidence of our faith, the working out, the production of fruit that the world might see and know that there really is a people who love and want to serve God is imperfect and is flawed and is even hypocritical as we are. It's an honest attempt. John the Baptist wasn't purpose perfect. I'm sure he'd be willing to admit that. And yet, of all the things I don't want to be is I don't want to be the brood of vipers. I want to be the person who says, okay, I've taken that hard word from the Lord who said, listen, this is the idol you have in your life and if you would have me, you can't have that. And I want to be the person who says, that idol can die, I will follow you. And though you slay me, I will praise you. Though you ruin me, I'll bless your name. It doesn't matter what comes. I will follow the Lord. That, the, that at least one day, I will see the mountains brought low. And I will see the valleys lifted up. And I will see all flesh see the salvation of the Lord. You want to see that? You want to see that? Spend some time today, this week, in asking the question, what is my Eeyore? What is my evidence that repentance is real in me? And if not, then make it your goal this week to do the very simple thing that John gave the crowd. Very simple, share. If you have two, give away one. Because we don't serve a God of lack. We serve a God who is able to give more than we've ever anticipated in ways we never dreamed of. Let's stand as we sing this last song to him.